Welcome to the Preacher's Podcast for Christmas in Year A. Uh, Today we're doing something a little bit different. We will cover both Christmas Eve and Christmas Day in this series for Christmas called A Savior is Born. Um, Notice in that series, A Savior is Born, we're not talking about a teacher or a mentor or a coach being born, but a Savior. And of course, the implication is clear. We were lost and needed to be saved. And when we talk about the birth of Jesus, we are talking about the birth of exactly the one we needed, not someone to guide us or tell us what to do, but someone to actually come in, God in the flesh, to save us. So we'll be thinking about that today as we consider both Christmas Eve and Christmas Day preaching. Welcome our preachers for this series, uh, Phil Hebner who serves at Wisconsin Lutheran High School. Before that, served at Christ the King Lutheran Church in Palm Coast, Florida. And Pastor Phil Kasmer, who serves at Christ the Lord Lutheran Church in Brookfield, Wisconsin. Phil and Phil, thanks for participating through this Christmas and Epiphany season. Well, as I mentioned, um, normally we we go through kind of uh, one Sunday and talk about the readings for the Sunday and the particular texts. Um, Today, I'd kind of like to combine... Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. Um, And one of the reasons is that perhaps uh, there are some preachers out there who preach on only one of those days. Um, A lot of uh, churches, of course, have services on both and sermons on both uh, Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. But I thought we'd try combining the two uh, so that we can talk about uh, how the two occasions fit together, maybe differences between the two. And let's start with this. Um, Phil and Phil, um, what have you done where you have served in terms of uh, services? Did you preach on both Christmas Eve and Christmas Day? Um, did you maybe use a lessons and carols service for one or the other? Um, do you have a, a kid's Christmas service on Christmas Eve? Um, or maybe um, have you done a shorter devotion rather than a full sermon on one of those days? Um, let's just kind of share experiences. We're not trying to figure out what is the the right way to do it, because I think every situation is different. Every situation is unique. Um, But maybe let's just uh, share some experiences here to give preachers uh, different perspectives. Um, So Phil Kasmer, let's start with you. Um, What have you done uh, just in terms of services for Christmas Eve and Christmas Day? Uh, We've kind of run the gamut. but have generally tended to have preaching on both days. Um, At the moment, we're blessed with three preachers and um, our general thought has been when we're hitting the festivals to distribute those evenly. And at Christmas, we get good opportunity to get at least two out of three guys preaching. So um, we've tried to do that. We have, We've done the variety of things like uh, lessons and carol service sometimes, um, but less often, mainly for that, our preachers seem to desire to preach on those two days, so we give it to them. Um, We have not had now for a few years our children's Christmas service on Christmas Eve. We moved that off uh, because it was such a highly attended event for us. It made for an incredibly busy day, so we moved that to a week ahead. And then have usually had uh, an afternoon festival service and an evening candlelight service on Christmas Eve and then a festival service on Christmas morning. 
Okay. Yeah. Uh, Phil Hebner, um, what has been your experience? Um, well, it kind of varies a lot based on where I've been, I guess. Um, growing up in Lutheran grade school, we always did our kids Christmas service um, in Milwaukee at, um, on Christmas Eve. Uh, I remember doing that often as, as a kid. In the congregation I attended, my father's church, Grace Downtown, um, they usually have had multiple services on Christmas Eve. So like a Sunday school type of service, a family service, and then like the candlelight late night, 10 o'clock Christmas Eve service. Um, obviously the practices are gonna vary based on every person's congregation. Um, you know, those kinds of things just aren't possible if you're by yourself um, in some medium-sized church or congregation, or if you don't have other preachers available. Um, I, I would think it's pretty difficult to write very high quality sermons, especially if you have Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, and like Sunday lining up all in a row. Uh, so when I was in Florida at our congregation there, um, we did like a family type service, which was maybe similar to a, a lessons and carols, uh, and then a, a later seven or eight o'clock Christmas Eve candlelight service, um, and, and that would have maybe a sermonette, if you will, mm -hmm. um, and then we'll talk about Christmas Day maybe in a few minutes here. Um, we also in Florida did not have our children's Christmas service on Christmas Eve. And that, you know, that gets to be such a zoo. I mean, it's almost like the Super Bowl these days with the way parents have their phones out and everyone and their uncle and aunt comes just to see the little kids. Um, so it's, you know, for us in Florida, it was a great outreach opportunity because you have so many visitors at a kid's Christmas service. I loved having a little sermonette of seven to 10 minutes, but I wasn't so much a fan of having that on Christmas Eve because I think that was really a distraction from the true message of Christmas. And unfortunately, the, re the, real, the reality is people probably aren't going to come back for an actual Christmas service on Christmas Eve if they come to a kid's service on Christmas Eve. Mm -hmm. yeah, they're probably thinking one and done and go do presents or family time. Uh, and so for that reason, we moved uh, you know, the kid's service to a different day and did uh, other things on Christmas Eve. We, we for sure had the candlelight thing. That seems to be just such a a traditionally loved thing um, mm -hmm. all around that we we did that kind of you got to sing Silent Night with candles or something if you're you're not doing it right apparently so um, that that was our practice in what I've experienced. Yeah, yeah, my I think my mine is similar. Um, the the kid service was often on Christmas Eve until it started growing. I mean that that's a great blessing when you get more kids, more families um, when you're starting to serve. Uh, kids who are not members of your church and you have these outreach opportunities, right? And, but it, it gets to be so big. Uh, yeah. And I had the same experience uh, to, as you mentioned, Phil, that, you know, parents with their phones out and cameras, it just gets to be such a big event. Um, and I can't fault people who um, maybe don't have kids that age any longer. And they're looking forward to Christmas Eve. That's kind of quiet and, and candlelight and contemplative. Um, and uh, well, it, it's not quite that environment to say the least when you've got uh, a church full of, of little kids and, and parents and grandparents, both awesome opportunities for worship, but yeah, really different in character. Yeah. So we, we moved the, the kids service to maybe the previous Sunday or, or something like that. And that seemed to work well. Phil Hebner. 
Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, with whatever kind of Christmas Eve service you have, whether it is a kid's service or, or a separate different Christmas Eve candlelight or whatever, uh, when we're talking about preaching, it seemed to me that, um, you know, lessons and carols are nice or, or similar kinds of things, but I would think it'd be wise for a preacher to at least have some time, even if it's not a full sermon, um, you know, again, a sermonette maybe of seven to 10 minutes, sometime when you have so many guests who come, mm -hmm. maybe just for Christmas, to really proclaim clearly law and gospel so that they can uh, get that. Of course, who can speak better than the word of God, but to, to flesh that out and to proclaim that message is such a privilege and opportunity when there's so many guests. So I'd, I'd be interested, Phil, Casmer, in your larger congregation, you know, what kind of strategies maybe uh, when you have so many visitors, especially like on a Christmas Eve, uh, what goes through your mind when you're thinking about preparing a message for that day? Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit. Who's in the pews on Christmas Eve, on Christmas Day? What types of services you have? Uh, Phil Kasmer, your thoughts on that? Well, we've had that same experience of the, the children's service. We're blessed with a growing Lutheran elementary school, and so many of our parents are our members, the predominant number. Um, but that, that event, is that's a different feeling. Uh, still, on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, I'd say among our three services, it's a lot of visitors and um, family members who are coming who aren't necessarily of our fellowship. Um, I don't know. I always think it's a fine balance on those two days. Uh, say in my congregation, there are lots of longtime Lutherans and people who are pretty, pretty good Bible students. And I feel like you want to give them some meat. And then at the same time, there's people there who think Christmas is about tinsel and presents. And so you want to give them the reality. And uh, I mean, my associate and I this year just talked about it and said, I said to him, I worried that my sermon was too simple. And he said, but I think that's exactly what you need on this day. It's just got to be straightforward. Right. I think so, too. It. Um... Going back to what Phil Hebner was saying, um, you mentioned that when you've got so many guests at church, it it's hard to pass up. It's always been hard for me to pass up an opportunity to preach, even if it isn't a full length sermon, um, just to lay out things in a simple and clear way. Um, for those who maybe have not been in a church before or who rarely uh, have, have been in a Christian church, um, that seemed just a great opportunity um, just, yeah, to, to spell out the, the clear teachings of Christmas, the clear law and gospel message that is there, um, even if it wasn't a full, a full sermon. Um, but I agree with you, Phil Kasmer, that, yeah, just keeping it basic is not a bad thing at all. Um, just focusing on the events, uh, God's love that permeates everything, you know, in the, the Christmas accounts, um, just to lay that out for people. And it's, it's also a time, not only uh, worship guests, but maybe, you know, those church members that you don't see as often as you would like to see, just to uh, get something clear and straightforward and simple for their encouragement and their strengthening too. Um, uh, well, let's uh, begin thinking about um, Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. The, in the lectionary, uh, Christmas Eve, the gospel is Luke 2, 1 through 20, the familiar uh, account of the nativity of Jesus. Um, Christmas Day is John 1, 
the gospel, uh, either John 1, 1 to 14 or John 1, 1 to 18. Um, how do those selections guide your service planning or how do you see the, the emphases on Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, Luke 2, John 1 being similar, being different from one another? Um, Phil Kasmer, could we go to you first, just for some thoughts on that, the similarities and differences between Christmas Eve and Christmas Day Gospels? Um, yeah, I think I've usually viewed Christmas Eve as, uh, I mean, I, the festival is the nativity, right? Telling the story um, and Luke 2 being the main entree then of telling the story of what happened, how God made this fulfillment of his promise in real human time. Uh, versus John 1, and I know we'll talk about that a little bit later, um, is just a very different text. It's not story in the same way. Um, and so to me, that Christmas then has taken on, Christmas Day has taken on more that uh, festival of the incarnation or the reality of what the story means. Um, and I think most of our service planning has kind of rolled out that way. Um, we've ended up with hymns on Christmas Day that are about the essence of who we are because of God's Christmas work versus while that gets said, often on Christmas Eve, we're doing uh, Silent Night and the Shepherds and, um, you know, angels we have heard on high, things like that. Great. Uh, Phil Hebner, uh, your thoughts on that or how you've approached the distinction between Christmas Eve and Christmas Day? I think it's fascinating how America has molded its practices for Christmas, you know, secular and religious, and the texts almost lend themselves to how, how this turns out in our churches, you know, because mm -hmm. um, you talked a little bit about who's going to show up in church. I, I mean, man, in our mission type of setting, we we do the whole folding chairs thing, you know, not enough seats on Christmas Eve, 300, 350 some people, and uh, sometimes disheartening to see 60 show up on Christmas Day. Mm -hmm. But that is often the, the very faithful of God's people. And what a neat time to really dive into the depths of John 1. And, and like uh, Phil said, maybe we'll talk more about that text in just a second. But uh, I think that text lends itself more to people who are a little more knowledgeable about the scriptures. Uh, so on Christmas Eve, I think it is nice to just marvel at the story. I mean, they are definitely in manger mode. You know, they're thinking about the scene and the shepherds and the angels, and we're singing about those things. So I guess um, with such a vast text there, uh, Luke 2, 1 to 20, there's so many different parts of the, the story that you can focus on. And I guess that's been a joy for me on uh, Christmas Eve's is that there's almost no end to what you can focus on. So maybe one year it's the announcement of peace. And uh, one, one year, maybe it's the, the shepherds who hurry off and then are so quick to share that message. And maybe one year it's uh, Mary treasuring up all these things in her heart um, or, or the glory of God and that God, God would come and take on human flesh and be this um, humble child lying in a manger for us. And um, I guess recently I was reading in uh, Professor Deutschlander's book about giving advice to God, some of the devotions um, on this text and just thinking about the God coming here in such a humble way and reminding, reminding us that we are such humble sinners, you know, and that God will come here for us. So anyways, back to the point, um, there's so much to focus on in that story on Luke 2. And I think people are really eager to hear that story and sing about it. 
And if we can just so simply proclaim the joy, uh, as you said in the opening, that we have a savior for us, um, I think that just adds to the secular Christmas spirit and, and fills their hearts with gospel joy. Right. Giving them, giving people, especially those new to Christianity, you know, here's something that the, the, the culture around you is probably not going to tell you. It might give little hints, you know, it might seep through at Christmas time, but um, yeah, let's give you something much deeper, uh, a, a deeper source of joy um, than anything else that you'll hear. Phil Kasmer. Yeah, and then that, I think in the, all the expectations of that Luke 2 story, what people know or think they know, um, there's so much opportunity to play on that juxtaposed against what God presents, um, whether it's what the real glory is and the angel intervention and God's fulfillment of his promise, or, or if it's running with the idea that we, you know, we have this sense of the humility and the lowliness but what God's actually getting done through it and, and how he comes to meet me in reality. I mean, um, it's just a good, it's a good time to meet those expectations and preconceived notions that people have and just bring the beauty of God's realized salvation promises. And if I could just add to that real quick, uh, sometimes it's almost great on Christmas Eve just to shock people a little bit while you're talking about the story and to talk about what they're not expecting. You know, you have your cute and cuddly baby in a wooden manger, but to talk about the wooden cross that he's gonna end up on, um, or, you know, the story of this cherished and precious new birth is gonna end in a death and a, and a resurrection to new life. Um, you know, so to take them to Calvary and the empty tomb on Christmas is also uh, an ultimate joy because again, their minds aren't exactly there. It's sometimes on the sentimentality of the story. Right. Uh, and so kind of to wrap it all together, like Phil was just talking about, is really, really great. Yeah. Yeah. Bring home the realities um, that uh, get maybe get glossed over, um, even by those who might kind of, they know what the, the manger scene is all about, but really bring home, uh, this is why our Savior came. This was his goal. This is what he accomplished, right? Here's how the story begins. Here's how the story comes to its culmination at the cross and the empty tomb. Let's think a little bit more about uh, Christmas Eve um, in the, the foundation uh, worship materials that are, are being provided for us. Um, a Savior is born to change the world is the suggested theme to focus in on Christmas Eve. Um, you'll see uh, information there on the, the Congregational Services website about uh, a way to introduce that uh, change the world theme. Um, talking about family traditions, and it, sometimes we don't like change. You know, we've got to have our, uh, we've got our, our must-haves and must-dos on Christmas uh, to kind of make them in our minds. Th th this has got to be there uh, for our celebration. Um, but change is really what this baby comes to bring. Um, the readings uh, for Christmas Eve in year A, Micah 5, uh, 2 to 5a, and uh, 5a includes um, the last line is, and he will be our peace. And, you know, that implies the radical change that Jesus comes to bring. And of course, the angels are singing about it too in the Bethlehem fields when Jesus is born. But the peace between God and humanity that the Savior will achieve. Uh, Titus 2 is a traditional reading for Christmas Eve. I know I've 
uh, it's kind of a different angle on Christmas Eve, but there it's Paul saying, here's what this means for lives uh, touched by the Savior who has come for us. Um, this is a radical reorienting of our lives and the way we view life and who we live for and how we live. Um, it changes us now and forever. Uh, the salvation has appeared um, for us, and that changes everything. And then, of course, Luke 2. Um, I, I, yeah, I agree with what you guys have mentioned. There's so much to cover in Luke 2, and maybe a strategy kind of with a long view toward preaching on Luke 2 is this year I'm going to focus in on this aspect of the text. Next year I'll focus in on a different aspect of the text. Um yeah, your thoughts on, I know you've, you've mentioned some already, but um, Luke 2 and preaching Luke 2, any other f- thoughts that would uh, be of assistance to preachers as they are getting ready for Christmas Eve? Uh, Phil Hebner? Well, just going to go off the theme since you suggested it of the, you know, the change that the Savior came to bring and the concept of peace, that shalom that was so big in the Old Testament and so different than what our world thinks of peace, you know, that state of uh, blessedness through God and what he brings um, and the blessings that come through him in a good relationship with him. Um, I, I think that's really important to think about in our modern times, um, the changes that are brought, because I think sometimes we want, again, in the sentimentality of Christmas for there to be different, we want our lives to be different, you know, in, in the brokenness of our world. And we think about Christmas being about family. Well, not a lot of families are doing so well right now. A lot of families are broken. And we want uh, Christmas to be about the kindness and love and giving gifts. Well, not everyone likes the gifts that I give. And not everyone's Christmas dinner is happy because then you start fighting. Um, and then you do your Christmas like little time out and you get breaks from school and days off of work. But then you go right back to the sad reality of suffering and it smacks you back in the face again as, as if those days never existed. You're right back in the world. Uh, and so to take time to think about that's going to continue because sinners are living in a sinful world. We're going to still suffer and we're still going to have hurt and pain and the consequences of sin. But the Savior didn't come to um, erase that temporarily here in this world you know, or to fix our family situations, but he came to give us life-changing peace so that we can get through those things, so that we can bear and endure those sufferings until the day when we have none finally in heaven, the ultimate peace and blessing of life with him. So, uh, you know, maybe to think about that a little bit, again, in our times, we are just so broken and families are so hurting right now to think about the peace that only Jesus can offer to get through all of that, I think is a really wonderful theme that the, um, the planning documents have offered. Thank you for that. Yeah. Phil Kasmer. Yeah, I think, I don't know, another thought I have, I tend to get cynical about some of these things sometimes. And you think about all the people that visit, which are truly a blessing from the Lord to have an opportunity, but there's a sinful preacher in me that, you know, wants to stick it to people or something like that. Um, my associate shared a Tim Keller word with, with me this year, uh, just reminding that they, like, they know it's a special day, these people, whoever they are, the world, even the secular world knows all about Christmas and they know it's something special. The shift for us is to share what is truly and actually special about it. 
Um, and I, I think it's good to just remember to, to be fully in that gospel moment. And I don't mean not to preach the law, but I mean, you know, you're like the angels on that day. You have this moment where these people have walked in in a way that they don't on a regular old Sunday um, to let them know God has said something here. And the significance is he's bringing fulfillment of it. Here it is. And uh, I may feel like God favors me aside from any of the things that Phil mentioned about the brokenness of this world. But in truth, God, God's favor rests on us only here in this one that comes. So he's very significant and I, I need to know who he is. Um, and my job is to make sure that gets across and not kind of muddied up with all the other things I can worry about. Yeah. If, if I could play off of that for just a second, mm-hmm. uh, as a pastor preacher, because as uh, Phil brought it up, um, boy, you really feel the tug on the Romans chapter seven battle with your sinful flesh at Christmas time. Uh, very often. And I used to think to myself for children's Christmas services and Christmas Eve, these are my absolute least favorite days of the year and absolute most favorite days of the year at the same time. You know, and there's that tug because there is that cynicalness and that sinful nature of you just, you know, the shenanigans, right? You know, there's going to be parents at the kids service that are just acting ridiculous and inappropriately for God's house and the, and the occasion and the event. And there's going to be all kinds of stuff on uh, you know, tedious, like, did I order the, enough candles? And is this going to happen right? And are the choirs rehearsed? And all, you know, just all of that kind of stuff and people there probably sometimes for the wrong reasons and spouses and family members dragged into church because that's what we're doing on Christmas Eve. And, you know, your sinful nature really struggles with that. But then uh, your new life in Christ uh, hopefully wins out to know again, the joy of the day and Christmas and being able to proclaim that message. So, it is a battle, and uh, I, I guess I just want to verbalize that. So, if any other pastors are feeling that, you're not alone. Um, <laughs> right, it's a real fight. Yep, yep, yeah. And it's um, you know the the intensity just sort of uh, ramps up as Christmas approaches. Right, there's so many details to think about. It seems like something unexpected always happens. Or you know, if you're in a place uh, in the country where weather is an issue. You get everything planned to a T and then a snowstorm comes and it, you just, everything is, all the plans are out the window. And, um, but yeah, uh, the, the stress is there, but right. It, to get people sitting in front of you who kind of sort of know this Christmas thing in general, but have never really heard a clear gospel presentation, uh, just to sense that opportunity is really exciting just to be able to to lay that out for people as you guys have both highlighted. Um, well, let's talk also a, a little bit about uh, Christmas Day and uh, John chapter one. Here, the suggested theme is a Savior is born to dwell among us. Um, and of course, we think of uh, John one fourteen, or that that's immediately what what comes to mind. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. Um, Skenesen, right in Greek, he, he's come to to pitch his tent among us and to live here uh, among all of the people that he created. Who, though they owe their existence to him, nevertheless, many do not recognize him or acknowledge him. But he's here, uh, the Son of God, the Eternal Word in the flesh. Um, so we've got uh, readings like Isaiah fifty-two. Uh, God rolling up his sleeves and saying, I will take action myself to bring good news of salvation to the ends of the earth. Uh, 
Um, and Hebrews 1, uh, 1 through 9, that beautiful section that is, it, I, I think in many ways, very similar to John 1, um, talking about the truth of the incarnation and the person of the Son of God. And then John 1, uh, 1 to 14, um, sometimes we go beyond that into verses 16 through 18 as well. Um, but what we can look at uh, John 1, 4, 1, 1 to 14 today. Um, let me just open it up and, and ask you guys what you emphasize as you preach on John 1. Um, what are some truths you like to draw out? How you approach that text? Uh, Phil Kasmer, let's start with you. Um, I was going back over <clears throat> past John 1 sermons. And so maybe it's a failing, but it seems like I have most often emphasized the word um, just to riff on isn't enough, but uh, to elucidate that name. Because uh, I think if you do happen to be there on Christmas morning and you are not a regular church going person, that's a strange way of talking. But that is such a cool concept. And whether you, I think I found it in Wenzel's commentary, Luther's words about, you know, the word is um, just like we have our own inner thought and then it's expressed. We would know nothing of what the almighty, powerful, far out of our experience, God thinks and wants and is going to do. But he has a word inside of himself, a word as big as God himself, he says. Uh, that that does all of that, that comes to explain um, who is God? What's he about? What is he doing? What does he think about me? Um, I think that's the, myself, the coolest thing about that John 1 text. And then aside from, there's just so much in there too, mm -hmm. uh, like Luke 2, uh, I always struggle with, you know, do you preach on all 18 or all 14 verses of you? Drop six to eight out and deal with John the Baptist later. And right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he'll, he gets his turn in Advent often, and then we'll come back in Epiphany some years. So, um, uh, Phil Hebner, your thoughts on preaching on John 1? Uh, so, as mentioned, I, I used to live and serve in Florida, and um, it's kind of a weird concept that lots of people love to vacation there and go there, and, and you just get so used to living by the ocean that you kind of take it for granted. Um but you can stand and get lost at the ocean and the beach for hours and hours and hours of what to think of, you know, just in the sublime nature of that and what God has done. And I guess I often think of John chapter one that way. You know, sometimes we hear it so often that maybe we take it for granted, but it is such a sublime text. And in some ways, I guess, um, I preach on it almost every Christmas day, I think. Um, in some ways, it's almost intimidating. You know, how, how can I, as a um, poor beggar and as a person and as a pastor even approach this text um, or dare to speak the words that God gives us here um, because it is so marvelous and so sublime. Um, I, I think reading them at a Lessons and Carols or a Christmas Day service, I'm not sure I've ever been able to read it all the way through without, you know, tears in the eyes or getting choked up. It's just so, mm -hmm. it's so incredible. Um, and as Phil mentioned, you, you could preach <laughs> You could, you could have 40 years of ministry and preach 40 different sermons and have them be so, so different. There's so much to explore here. Uh, so I, I guess I think you kind of have to pick a thing and go with it rather than trying to cover everything. So, you know, there's the awesomeness of the word and to, to think about that and to think about 
God and human flesh and the early Gnosticism, or even to play off of in the beginning and God spoke words and then the word took on human flesh and then the word revealed himself in words to it, you know, just all that kind of stuff. Or we have seen his glory to think mm -hmm. about, again, the angels proclaiming glory, glory in the Old Testament, the veiled glory we have now and the final glory of heaven or the motif of light and darkness yeah. that, that's there. Um, or, or, or that he would become flesh for us and just to think on that for, for quite a while on, on what exactly that means. Or, or the, as you mentioned, the coming to dwell with us and um, how easy to go back to the Old Testament and the tabernacle um, and how protected the glory of God was there in that tent. And then here he comes a tent with us uh, and yet in a humble way. Um, and that we will finally see his glory. And then, you know, he spreads his tent. We dwell with him, as it says in Revelation, you know, so to take that journey, I think there's a lot of different motifs that you can take light and dark word, the dwelling from Old Testament, or even the very beginning, all the way to the very end um, to explore. But I, maybe I would think it's unwise to try and do all of that in one sermon on one particular Christmas. Yeah, just so much. And the prologue of John's gospel, of course, you know, it's been noted ever since it's been written that you really see uh, all the themes that John is going to deal with, or many of them throughout his whole gospel, they're all there in the, those first few verses, even. Uh, Phil Kasmert, additional thoughts on that? I was laughing because this last Christmas, I actually chose to just do all of it <laughs> and ended up with 10 things to remember. Uh, <laughs> which means that you get a summary sermon of all the deep, deep things that are in there. I did like the last time that I dwelt on it, thinking more distinctly on there is a glory about Christmas and people's expectation. And it's good to note the brokenness of this human world's glory. And then if you get down to the, you know, the full 18 verses, um, we have seen his glory the glory of the one and only who comes from the father, full of grace and truth. Um, you know, the specific glory of God that Christ shows is God's undeserved love in action. And the truth and the reality that he, he brings his might and his power to bear for sinners in this unexpected and absolutely undeserved way. You know, and that is Christmas. I mean, that's Christianity, of course, but mm -hmm. um that hit me the last time I went through it, uh, that this is the specific revelation. There's just this grace and truth, glory of God. Great. Yeah, there is so much. Uh, and I, I guess I tend to agree with, with uh, both of you where you might want to focus in on one thing, or if you do handle all, all the 14 verses, just realize going in, uh, I'm not going to be able to to delve into all of these things, um, but rather maybe give the the you know ten thousand foot view of that text. Um, if preachers are looking for a way to narrow the focus, I think the foundation materials do help us here. You know, they suggest here's a, a an aspect of um, the readings you can focus in on. So changing the world on Christmas Eve, <coughs> excuse me, uh, a savior born to dwell among us focusing in on that on Christmas Day. Um, and also you can look at the other lectionary readings if you're using those um, in your service for points of connection there to help narrow the focus a little bit. Um, uh, 
I think that can help too, because it's just, yeah, it's just so, so much you can speak about and uh, so many things you can talk about. That might be a good way to narrow down for preachers uh, if they're just kind of feeling overwhelmed. Um, <clears throat> I think uh, we could go on talking about this for a long, long time, um, but let's uh, wrap it up for today. Hopefully some preachers who are getting ready for Christmas Eve and Christmas Day will have some good food for thought here, or maybe some additional perspectives um, as they wrestle with uh, the stress and the incredible privilege and joy of proclaiming the word on these special days. So Phil Kasmer, Phil Hebner, thank you very much for your thoughts and sharing your insights and experiences. And we will look forward to hearing from you uh, again for our next series as we continue A Savior is Born. <laughs> God bless you, preachers, as you proclaim the word.